Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hi, I'm Shira Barlow, but you may know me as the food therapist. I'm so excited to announce Dear Media's first ever daily show, Good Instincts. If you've ever found it challenging to eat thoughtfully while juggling a busy schedule, then this show is for you. Instead of aiming to simply eat healthier, we'll focus on tips and mindset shifts that streamline the process. Because balance is key, and the less complicated, the better. Join me every Monday through Friday for bite-sized episodes designed to help you close the gap between where you are right now and where you want to go. Available wherever you get your podcasts. Today's episode is a true pinch-me moment. And I talk about why, like as we dive into the episode, but I cannot believe that it finally happened because I have been a fan of Sarah Landry, aka the Bird's Papaya, for years. Like, you know, when influencers first kind of became a thing or wellness creators and you started following people, like she was one of the first people that I started following. Like she was one of those first for me. And I feel like I've watched her grow and evolve over the years. And I just freaking love her content. I am so here for her approach to content creation, but also how she shows up on the internet in such a vulnerable and honest way. And I just love everything she does. So I feel so freaking honored to have her on the show today. Sarah is a longtime creator. Again, you probably know her from The Bird's Papaya. She's a writer. She's a speaker. She's a mom of four, which we get into. And she's a podcast host on The Papaya Podcast, which is another Dear Media show, which I had the honor of guesting on. So you can definitely go give that a lesson. But today's episode covers so much. And I just, I'm so proud. I'm so proud of us for getting to this point where we get to interview her. So go us. Thank you so much for continuing to support me over this maternity leave. It means the world to me to be able to spend this time with my family. And I just feel all of the love and it really, really keeps me going knowing that these episodes are coming out every Wednesday for you all and that you are enjoying them as much as I did when I recorded them. So without further ado, here is Sarah Landry. I'm so excited to have you on. We just recorded 
the episode for your show, but I have to tell you, I have followed you for a very long time. Like, oh God. you were on my list of one of the reasons I wanted to join Dear Media. But when I joined, I was like, wait, I need to get the Birds Papaya on. Oh and then God. when I got that email about the swap, I literally screamed. My husband was like, why are you freaking out? You know, does that happen to you when you get a work thing and you Yeah, yell? I do. I, I still, and I love that. I love that I'm still like a bit of a kid inside when it comes oh, to too. all of this. It's all just like, oh. Like it just, it never, it never gets old. I just act cool about it, but I'm really not. I'm always a little bit screaming inside. It's so fun. Someone followed me on Instagram the other day and I was in the car and I literally was like, ah! and my husband is so concerned what is happening. And I'm like, you wouldn't understand because you don't watch Vampire Diaries, but Claire Holt just followed me on Instagram. And oh he's like, God. that means nothing to me. That is very, that's a very cool one. Oh, right. Like that's a very cool the one. coolest. So you were someone that I audibly gasped and yelled for. So I'm so excited to have you on. And I do have to say for the listeners, and I meant to say this on your show as well, something about being with Canadians. I have a group of Canadian friends. There are like two that I'm very close with, but then I've kind of spent time with their Canadian circle. Yes. I will leave a situation, have a full-blown Canadian accent. Oh, I'm a, I'm an adopter of accents as well. I I resonate with that deeply. My husband, yeah. I came home from a bachelorette party once and I was the only American and I started being like, oh, sorry. And you know, whatever. And he's like, you aren't from Canada. I know. Remember when Madonna moved to like Britain and everyone made fun of her for her accent changing? I'm like, you don't understand. I watch like people can tell what reality TV show I'm watching based on how I talk. Like I am so, very, I'm a sponge to personality and I'm like a yeah. shapeshifter into different voices and things. But then I also like my natural tone, I can like slip into Valley Girl a little bit. It took me a long time to like not be embarrassed of that. So I've like got the Canadian Valley Girl thing going on, but that's like just who I am. And I'm just, I'm just decided not to be weird about it. And I'm just that's like, that's me just and cursing. Yeah. Yeah. I'm never, I'm not going to let go of it. Some people no. hate it. It's, it's yeah. who I am. I'm sorry. Yeah. You have to honor Actually, it. I'm not sorry. It's just who I am. And Canadian, and sorry, which means everything. <laughs> everything. Well, so literally like I will, I, I, fear that by the end of this episode, I will be speaking my full oh, Canadian yeah. accent, but oh, who knows? Yeah. So I feel that most of my listeners community probably know who you are already because you're a big deal. But one of the reasons I love you so much and have always loved you so much is you show up very authentically as yourself on your page. And I feel that there are sometimes these conversations around body specifically where everything yeah. has to be this thing. You know, it's yeah. always, it's a big deal if you look a certain way and you're just like, well, no, this is the way I look and yeah. I'm just going to show up like everyone yeah. else does on the fucking internet. We don't yeah. have to talk. It doesn't have to be something. <laughs> it's just me. This is what I look like. Yeah. So yeah. I personally love that, but I'm especially interested when it comes to your relationship with your body yeah. and your mental health in terms mm -hmm. of motherhood, because you don't have a, what most would call quote unquote, typical age range of children. So you've no, experienced, <laughs> you've experienced very different, I, I would assume pregnancies and postpartums. Yes. So for my listeners, like what are the ages of your children and how did each pregnancy and then also postpartum differ? So my kids are 17, 15, 13, and then two. 
<laughs> so we we had a bit of a we had a bit of a like final round. Actually, I had two different marriages. So my first, and then when I met my second husband, we didn't actually plan on having children, and it just sort of came up as a thought during the pandemic, during us watching The Office when Jem and Pam have a baby, and I was crying, and I was like, Best "Maybe we're ever. supposed to have a baby." And then we said that idea. Anyways, long story short, we welcomed our daughter, Lemmy. So yeah, each pregnancy was really different because the first time I was 20, like I was 20. so different. So different. Everything was weird and new. It also was at a time that I was very much just in survival mode of life. Like I was a new mom. I didn't really know what I was doing. And when I got pregnant, I was like, okay, this is like my new identity. This is who I am now. I'm a mom. And so I'm a wife. I'm a mom. I'm doing all of these things. And I remember being very head in the clouds about the whole thing and very shy and embarrassed because when you're 20, I mean... I don't even know if I'd had a physical, I probably had a physical exam, but I don't recall that. So I just remember being like, people have to see my vagina and then I have to like give birth to something. And everything was just very upsetting. And I didn't advocate for myself ever because I was just like, yes, sure. Okay, fine. Like at every single point. And I ended up having a very, very long recovery for one very simple reason. I was too embarrassed to let anybody look at my vagina. And if they had let them look at my vagina postpartum, they would have seen that I had a infection from stitches and I ended up having really built up scar tissue. I couldn't even stand up for more than like 20 minutes for the first year. So I really didn't. Yeah. So my, but like, I didn't know that that was weird or different. I just thought, wow. So your whole body just like basically explodes and then nobody talks about that. (laughs) And so I remember like, I remember somebody else gave birth and I was like, how are you? Like, oh my God, like I know everything that's happened. This is like quiet speak here, but like, how is everything? She's like, I got like one stitch. I feel okay. And I was like, what? How did that happen? Because for me, I was like, I just, my ass just exploded and you have one stitch. And time after time after time, all my friends were having that experience. And I had one friend who was like sitting on like the rubber dinghy. And I was like, you, you get me, you know, what's going on. And there was like this camaraderie that I felt that there was one person that didn't have this like amazing one tiny stitch vagina after delivery, because I really did feel like my whole ass exploded. And then I went into my second delivery and uh, I gave birth and I was like, oh my God, is this what everybody else is talking about? Because that was way cooler, way better. I loved it way more. I like my body has been carved out. It was basically a slip and slide. Everything was easy. (laughs) And then I had my third and like each of them, I actually shared my birthing stories for each of them on the birth hour podcast, but essentially I had like multiple failed epidurals on like the, the second and third. So my first, I didn't feel anything second and third. There's a lot of panic going on. My son and my body had gone into shock So, but I still was like, wow, okay, recovery, we move on with life. And I don't think that I ever dealt with any birth trauma because I just felt like you don't really talk about it. That's just normal. Everything is cool and fine until, you know, you go through life and you start to like dig in and figure out who you are. And then I got pregnant with my third and I had prenatal depression, which I'd never had any perinatal mental health issues. Wait, was this your third or your fourth? My fourth, like the one I had two years ago. And I ended up going into like perinatal mental health therapy. And all of a sudden, all of these bubbles of birth trauma came up from my last pregnancies and births that I had just tucked in a faraway corner because I was 
21, 23, and 25. And nobody talked, I didn't have social media to access to talk to about anybody about this stuff. So I really had to deal with all, all of those births and then going into another one when I was 30, I guess it was like 35 pregnant and about to give birth at 36. One thing I was not prepared for when starting our toddler in school was the influx of germs that he was going to be exposed to and therefore bring home with him every day. Especially as a new mom, I am extremely diligent about staying healthy right now, both mentally and physically. In order to support my immune health and give it some extra love, I am heavily relying on my morning glass of AG1. If you're a longtime listener, you know that I've been drinking AG1 for over five years now. When I started drinking AG1 daily, I noticed I had increased energy first thing in the morning and that it helped with my digestion throughout the day. As a creature of habit, it is absolutely my preferred method of starting my day. That's because AG1 is a foundational nutrition supplement that supports your body's universal needs like gut optimization, stress management, and immune support. Since 2010, AG1 has led the future of foundational nutrition, continuously refining their formula to create a smarter, better way to elevate your baseline health. When it comes to prioritizing my mental health as a new mom, my morning routine is vital. Someone once said that it's equivalent to starting your day on the offense versus the defense and I've never heard truer words. For me, I need some me time that is quiet and calm before answering everyone else's needs. And my morning glass of AG1 plays such a pivotal role in that window of time. It doesn't need to be a huge production. If you have five minutes, that is enough. Simply scoop, mix, and enjoy wherever you prefer to start your day. AG1 is a supplement I trust to provide the support my body needs daily, and that's why they've been a partner for so long. If you want to take ownership of your health, it starts with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3K2 and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com slash FFF. That's drinkag1.com slash FFF to check it out. Did you know that you can tell the difference between a laboratory-grown diamond and a natural diamond? Laboratory-grown diamonds are mass-produced in factories in just a few weeks and are easily detected due to their distinct patterns. On the other hand, natural diamonds are over a billion years old and support the livelihoods of over 10 million people worldwide. The positive impact of natural diamonds is widespread. Around 80% of the value of every rough diamond remains in local communities and supports infrastructure, healthcare, education, and environmental protection. So next time you're thinking of celebrating a special moment in your life, remember that your natural diamond also protects vulnerable wildlife species and brings prosperity to many less fortunate communities around the world. For more information, visit naturaldiamonds.com. I also think when you're 20 to 25, you are still so confused of who you are as an individual to then at the same time simultaneously throw in the curveball of a real change in identity when it comes to pre being a mom and then becoming a mom because everything does change. Did you feel pushback to that? Because I know for me, we talked about this on your show, I struggled with trying to return to other aspects of my life that weren't centered around my child. And there was a part of me that didn't resent him, but did kind of resent this new identity or question, what have I done? Will I ever be able to do these things again? Is this just my permanent life now? And I can only imagine how more intense those emotions would be had I been even younger. Did you feel that? Or were you kind of like, I'm on board, let's ride this train? I feel like when you're going through life and figuring out who you are and what you want to be, and then you become a mother, that just, I put everything into that. If you go back, there's hardly any photos of me. If they are, I'm behind my kids. 
my blog, when I started it, I started it when my oldest was two and my youngest was like four months old or my middle uh, at the time youngest, but she's 15 now. So it was named after them, like Gemma Birdie and Maya Papaya. That's where the birds papaya came from. Everything was about them. Everything was about what they were doing, what they were wearing, how cute they were. My hair would be in a sopping wet bun on the top of my head. Nothing wrong with that. But I just abandoned self in the pursuit of motherhood. And I didn't see anything wrong with that because that felt like every narrative I've ever seen for a mother. So my identity crisis, I feel, didn't really come until my late 20s when I really woke up to the fact that now they're all going to be in school. By 28, 29, I was gearing up to be a stay-at-home mom with no kids at home. And I was like, oh my God, there! I have to figure something out. I w- used to be like a church youth leader that feels like an alter ego, but that's where I was at the time. And I remember these girls being like, I don't know what I'm going to do with my life. I don't know where I'm going to go to school. I don't know what I'm going to do for a job. And I'm sitting there going, yeah, same, 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 same. No idea what I'm going to do with my life. And I felt that for the entirety of my 20s because I, it was like this ticking clock of like, who am I when I'm not a mom? Who am I when I don't have my kids? And then I went obsessively into, well, who am I? So my kids are in school now. I moved home to my hometown and there was a lot. I didn't realize I had a lot of, I, I mean, I knew I was always a bigger girl. So like there was no surprise there that I was aware of my body, but like three times postpartum and moving home to your hometown and running into people from high school kind of brings you into the spotlight a little bit. And I just became a little bit like, okay, I have to figure this out. Now is me time. I'm going to figure out who I am. I'm going to go on this big journey. And then I, all of a sudden people paid attention to me. So I went from feeling so invisible and so just a mom to, oh my God, you've lost weight. Oh my God, you look so great. Oh my God, what are you doing? And nobody had ever asked me for advice or things before I felt. So I was always talking, but I don't know that anybody cared to hear everything that was going on with my kids all the time as I was sharing. So I started, I started like basically being a weight loss account all around, you know, doing it with three kids at home and doing it all the stuff. But the reality was I was just seeking so much external validation that I ended up being in a really really painful experience of, you know, disordered eating and body dysmorphia and being really underweight and having to gain weight online. And that's sort of like what turned the corner for me on social media, because I really did feel like I was just trying to fit in because I didn't know who I was. And I think that that's not a dangerous combination, but just like the true combination of what happened to me is that I had social media in my hands and I was a mom and I was a person and I was trying to figure out who I was. And I kept putting my identity into other things that people would validate me for. They would validate me for getting married. They would validate me for being pregnant or having babies. They would validate me for losing weight. I didn't know how to self-validate. I didn't know how to be figure out who I was. Really did hit rock bottom around 30 and ended up, as many know, going through divorce, moving in with my parents and really really having to hit the low point of like, okay, who am I? And how do I do this in a way that also honors the path that I am on, which is I am somebody online and I also am a mother and I want to change the way I'm doing all of it. And I don't want my identity to be my kids. My kids couldn't even function. Like this isn't necessarily a bad thing. I'm just speaking it from like my own truth. My oldest didn't even know what to do without me. She would bawl her eyes out, not in a normal way for every single time I left. When I started working a job, she didn't know how to, she didn't know how to do anything because again, my whole identity is you. So who are we when we're not together? Right? So I think it's a, I think it's a very interesting thing to look back on because I'm so grateful that I had kids so young because we, 
have had so much life together. And I feel so grateful that these tiny humans who I love so much, and I genuinely love spending time with that. I've gotten 17 years of that now. And I'm also so proud of me that partway through the journey, I went, wait, I don't think it has to be like this. And I need to figure out who I am in the midst of all of this too. And even if I took a really winding path to get there, I feel like I'm figuring it out. And it was really humbling to go through the experience of getting pregnant again and having to re-navigate it again. But like sort of how you said before on my podcast, with the data from the lived experience of the last time and knowing I don't want to lose myself to this, but I also want to be present. And those are, you know, two things can be true at once, right? You can be simultaneously grieving your old life while pursuing the one that you have now. And I think that that's been a lot of, a lot of the word and in the last few years for me. So much and. There's so So much much power in the word and. For me, I definitely can relate to the conflicting feelings of wanting to throw yourself full in and the child being the only thing that matters and wanting to spend every waking moment with them and also wanting to do things on your own and Mm -hmm. creating an identity for yourself and finding hobbies and doing things for you. Something I struggle with in real time, I'm still navigating, is the feeling of jealousy when other people are spending time with my child because I just want to be with him all the time. Interesting. I don't feel guilt when I have to go do something for work. I'm like, this is great. It lights me up, makes me a better mom. Or if my husband and I go on a trip or I go on a girl's night away, I don't feel any guilt, but I am jealous where I'm like, well, I wish he was almost just like going to be asleep the whole time so that no one got to experience (laughs) anything with him because I want to be there. And it's not healthy. I'm working on it. And I can't be the only person he does things with. I can't be the only person he has relationships with. I'm even trying to force myself into a backseat in certain situations with my husband so that I make sure they get their own alone Mm -hmm. time and experiences Mm -hmm. together without me butting in 24-7. So it's something I'm working on. But where did you feel you were able to find that middle ground of obviously you want to still be very involved in your children's life? And you want to have a life for yourself and things that you do for yourself. Were there tangible pieces of advice that you can give people who are maybe in this confusing time of trying to find themselves while also living in a reality where their life is very centered on your children? Yeah. So it's interesting because I was very much like that in the early days. I really wanted to be all in end all. Like I, it was almost a moment of pride that, you know, my husband, my ex-husband at the time, but like my, or my husband, then my ex-husband now, I used to be like, oh yeah, he never gets up in the night. I only, I'm the only one that does anything. Like I'm able to do it all. I don't need a single lifting finger from anybody. I got it. And then, you know, time goes on. I really thought I was like such a rock star with everything, but I got worn down. Then going through my whole shift in my thirties of being like, there's more to just being a mom, having another child freaked me the fuck out. Like it really did. It really did also contribute towards the prenatal depression because I did feel like everything was going to be put on me and I would have to abandon self again in order to be a mother. And that's not true. And that's, everything was temporary and I had to like go through a lot of therapy to talk about how to ask for help and how to be supported and how to advocate and not just like hit this panic button of like somebody else take the baby. Like, I don't, 
I don't, please don't make me the one. And I remember my husband really asking me to teach him certain things that he wouldn't know because he wanted to be relied upon. We, he really wanted to be a unit with me. I remember four months in, I started hitting that wall. And I mean, a lot of this was sort of interesting because I was dealing with a level of PTSD that I didn't recognize that I could have from being a stay-at-home mom for so long. And I loved being a stay-at-home mom. It's just hard to keep those standards of what a stay-at-home mom does when you're also working at the same time. But I would be like hands in the sink doing dishes and having like full panics and being like, oh my God, like I can't, I can't be doing all of this again. Like I can't be sucked back into this vortex of I'm everything to everybody and I lose myself. I really was like sort of protective of me to the point that I was really sort of being defensive around how we were going to navigate a new child in the home. But about four months in, we ended up getting a nanny part-time just a few days a week and she would just come and help hold the baby. So I was still present. I was still there. Just, she was a cluster feeder. She just needed somebody to be with her. And uh, my mom has also been incredible in in that relationship. And my older kids also share, I mean, I co-parent them with another person and his wife. Like we have a lot of different cooks in the kitchen when it comes to raising these children. And I think this like one thing that I've always reminded myself of is like, nobody will be mom. Being a mom doesn't end when I walk out the front door. I was in the middle of a Beyonce concert for Pete's sake, ordering my son refills of the toothpaste that he wanted because he texted me in the middle of concert. It never ends. It is so all encompassing. So being with your children isn't the same as being present as a parent, right? So you have to know the difference. You can, you can be in a room with your kids and be so far gone and you can be so far gone, but be in the room with your kids. Do you know what I mean? Like there is a difference and there's a way to like identify who you are in motherhood while also having support systems in place. Nobody will be mom. Just like nobody will be dad, nobody will be grandma, nobody will be nanny Carmen. And we have all of our individual roles and we're not a threat to each other. I really love the idea that if something were to happen to me, and there's been times where, I mean, I was newly diagnosed with PMDD, which is like a whole other chapter story, mm-hmm. but there would be days where I was like really down, like really down. And I needed to rely upon knowing that my kids are safe and tended to and loved because I've set up that system, because I'm that mom, because I'm the mom who acknowledges that she is more than just a person in the room. She has needs. She has things going on. She's running a business. And that I, as a mother, created a support system that my children will live a good life, even without me in their presence, but I will be there and be present with them. And that's been a lot of coaxing, a lot of reminding. I struggle a lot with mom guilt. I think nobody thinks that I must have that. I don't think anybody maybe realizes the 13 to 15 hour days I will spend working on the days that I don't have them so that I'm off by like 2.30. So I'm with them when they're here, when they're off from school. I have made a lot of efforts to try and balance myself through work and motherhood because I believe wholeheartedly that women should be able to have the same opportunities as fathers have had through the through the history of time where they go to work and somebody doesn't ask them, well, who's got the kids? Who's taking care of your kids? How is that working? Right. I, I started doing this like mini series on TikTok and Instagram reels just about all the things I heard that I've never heard said to my husband. And it's jarring when you realize it and it comes all the way down to the way you decorate your home or who's watching the kids or who's doing the laundry, all these like gender roles that sort of pop up, but just like even the way you dress, the way you show up online, but you're a mom now. 
And we're like these sexualized beings until we have kids and everyone forgets we fucked to get there. Well, I did. Not everybody did. Everybody has different journeys for conception for sure. But there is a lot of power stripped from you when you step into motherhood, the way, like I said, the way you dress, the way you leave the house, the way you go to work, all of these things. And men just continue on their lives while also being parents and being praised for them. There's a whole Netflix like explained episode about the gender pay gap. And it's less so about men versus women. And it's more so about fathers versus mothers because men are seen as providers and women are seen as nurturers. So it is a negative to be a mother because it sees you're shown as having to leave work to go be with your kids where men as seen as being harder workers if they're fathers because they can provide and bring home. I've referenced this study in like four episodes now, but it's like the most valued employee is a father. Then, but the hardest worker is a single mom. Oh, absolutely. The hardest worker is a single mom. She has everything on the line. Without question. I could go on that forever. No, I feel very passionately about that. And similarly is one of the reasons why when it comes to tasks in the household, I have been very, very loud about division of labor and making sure that you are offloading things with your partner or people out, other people in your realm so that you're not trying to do everything. And yeah, domestic workload sharing. I love there was a Kylie Kadich um, did a whole TikTok about like how she does like domestic workload dividing. And it was so refreshing to hear. I did one myself because I was like, we need to talk about this more. There's a whole conversation about, you know, the default parent, but we're also not having the stories about how people are functioning with having like dual workloads happening when it comes to domestic responsibilities. I also loved what you said about you can be present physically in a room with a child and mentally somewhere else. And that's something I'm really working on and why I try to, you know, we have a sitter twice a week and my in-laws help another day a week so I can cram in as much work as possible so that I can then be with him the other days. But it's really easy to be with your child physically in a room and mentally be thinking about the 10,000 things you feel you have to do or the work that needs to get done. Yeah. And then you're not really doing anything because you're not getting those tasks done and you're not with your child. You've mentioned now that you've had a divorce Mm -hmm. and you've very publicly shared about that divorce on your channels. I'm curious, what did you feel the hardest thing was going through a divorce with children? Because I do think that Mm. throws a completely different wrench in the plan of going through the logistics of everything. And then also- Maybe you, I think you feel this way based on the content of yours I consume. When you look back, what are you most grateful for in terms of your divorce that it gave you? Oh, good questions. Honestly, the first thing I think was that I felt like I was protecting them by staying in the marriage. I've spoken many times about the fact that I really was falling on the sword. I thought if I fall on the sword for this family, I can be unhappy. I can go, I can get through this for the sake of everybody, for the sake of keeping us all together, I can do this. And when you fall on the sword, you forget that the blood is on the ground and you forget that other people see it and other people slip through it and it, and you slowly die. And I think that I, I really, I spent three years in the process of divorce. And what I mean by that is like between the words 
I want a divorce and actually exiting the marriage was three years because there was a lot of grieving. I was grieving the home that we had bought. I was grieving the way I decorated it. I was grieving, you know, the one car that we shared. I was grieving the fact that I wouldn't probably financially be able to be at home as much because I was going to be required to have a job. There was so much that I had to like work through, but I really did think that by me staying, I was protecting everybody. The reality was one day, and I'm sorry if I cry. I'm not sorry if I cry. I probably just will. It's just a warning shot. There was a day that I remember I opened my eyes and I had never struggled with like thoughts of self-harm or anything like that. Mm-hmm. But my eyes opened and I I think I was having a lovely dream and I opened my eyes and I just was so sad that I was awake. And I thought, that's not good because if you don't even want to be alive in your reality, how is that saving everybody? How is that good for anybody? How are you mothering when you're just numb? There would be so many days that I would just sit on the floor of the kitchen and just like try and process that this was my life and that there was no exit because that's what I felt. That there was not a choice because I thought it was going to be bad for the kids. I thought it was going to be bad for everybody. And I just thought the sword in my back was just better than an alternative reality. The reality was I left and It was hard on the kids because it was confusing in the moment of it happening. They didn't understand what it meant. And when we started to explain things, I remember they drew a card and they drew this card and it was like a rainbow one. I wish I kept it, but they just drew a picture and they gave it to me. And I just looked at them and I knew they would never really know why. And I've always kept that. Like, that's just, it doesn't matter. Like the why doesn't matter when you end a marriage. It really, really doesn't because nobody needs to know what went on. But the reality was, I just looked at them and I said, do you trust me? Do you trust my heart? And they said, yeah. And then we never really looked back. And I moved in with my parents and this was all happening at my parents' house. So that's like a humbling experience, but it was also the most joyful time in my life because it was like, oh my God, I finally don't have to sit on the floor and wonder what this, what my life is going to be. I don't have to wake up every morning and wish that this wasn't real I got to have hope and I got to have love for my kids. I got to be way more present than I think I ever was, even though I was present in the room. And that was really important and really special. It was hard in the reality that I was the be all and end all parent in many ways. And now having to share that responsibility and trust this other person, even though we had co-parented in the same home, it was still with me overseeing everything. So then when we now are split and we are sharing 50-50, that was new. That was uncomfortable. I didn't know what it was. I mean, I had gotten married at 19. So I left my parents' house and moved in with my husband. And then we had children. I had never woken up in a quiet home. Like even just being at home by myself, if my parents weren't there, there was just like a lot of, I don't even know how to be by myself. I don't know how, to, I don't know who I am outside of being a mother and being this like person. And I was working in a serving job that helped a ton. And then I got an office job and I just slowly rebuilt all of the, all of these things. And we had a lot of conversations around, around it all. And I wanted the kids to feel like they had somewhere to still talk about it all. And I remember at one point I was like, are you ever like upset that I left? Are you ever, do you resent me or do you want to talk about it? And they were like, no, like we're happy. And my son at one point, he was quite, he was quite little at the time. Maybe it was like five or six that he said this, but he referred to me. I was wearing something different. I don't know what it was that I was wearing, but he was like, I don't like this outfit. And I go, why? Never commented on an outfit of mine ever. And he was like, it just looks like old mom. 
And I was like, oh, interesting. He literally has in his brain, old mom, new mom, because that's the difference of who I was between going through those three years of like really, really hardship in a marriage and leaving and figuring it out. And I mean, we really didn't even have a car. We didn't have a car. I didn't even have a bank account. There was nothing to my name. And there was so much joy. We had so, so, so much joy. And I'm so glad that being stripped of all the things that I thought made me who I was between the home and the, and the, like being the stay-at-home mom, all of that stuff, being in a marriage, all of these identifiers that I thought made me who was somebody of worth losing all of that and, and still standing and finding joy was something that I'll never forget. And something that has always led me through in business and in life is that if you can lose it all and be be happy with where you are, then you're doing the right things, right? Like you're in the right place. And I think it also, divorces made me, it, I mean, you have so much learned experience. I didn't realize that when people said marriage was hard, that that was such a variable. And now I know that when I say marriage is hard, we're talking about, you know, the cardboard that needs to be cut up in the garage, not something much bigger than that. So I'm I'm grateful for marriage again. I never thought I'd do it. I never thought I wanted to see another man in my life. So it's all been a very beautiful, delightful surprise to have this. You know what is a top priority for me right now? Sleep. And sure, it is usually up there in terms of things I take very seriously and prioritize. But during this maternity leave, I am taking every minute I possibly can get. And who knew a better pillowcase could help so much with that? Thanks to Blissey, I am staying cool throughout the night and waking up with hydrated skin and hair. Blissey's award-winning 100% mulberry silk pillowcase is one of my new non-negotiables when it comes to sleep. Not only is it hypoallergenic, so you can sleep more comfortably without the itching, but they are machine washable and they even have a zipper to hold your pillow in place. If you're like me, you severely overheat and even like sweat in your sleep. I don't know if I'm alone in this, but there have legitimately been times where I've laid down towels in the bed to soak up my sweat. And I'm not freaking kidding you. But thankfully, no longer am I trying to flip over my pillow to get to the cooler side because blissy pillowcases stay cool all night and help with my inevitable hot flashes. Whether you're looking to up your sleep game or gift to someone else, the blissy silk pillowcase should be your next purchase. It is perfect for a family member, a close friend, or even your secret Santa gift exchange this upcoming holiday season. Blissy silk pillowcases are the best silk pillowcases on the market. They have a ton of different prints and colors and they make great gifts because there's an option for literally anyone. Men love them too. They have over 1.5 million raving fans and you could be the next. Try now risk-free for 60 nights at blissy.com slash Cameron and get an additional 30% off. That's B-L-I-S-S-Y dot com slash Cameron and use code Cameron to get an additional 30% off. Give yourself the gift of a good night's sleep with Blissy. As someone who is primarily gluten-free, the thing I miss the most, like hands down, without fail, are delicious baked goods. In my opinion, many of the gluten-free options at stores or restaurants, etc., just simply like do not cut it. And people get excited when they see there's a gluten-free option and I get the initial reaction of hope. It's like, oh my gosh, yay, finally, I can enjoy something. But majority of the time, it just feels like a letdown. Thanks to Stellar Eats, that is not always the case. Stellar Eats are grain-free baking mixes made with eight or less real ingredients like almonds, coconut, and dates. They have options like mixes for carrot cake, 
which is my absolute favorite, banana bread, which I don't think anyone can turn down, coffee cake, and more that are gluten-free and naturally sweetened with coconut and date sugars. They are truly so delicious and mixes that will not have you missing out on the party if you're unable to tolerate gluten like me. With Thanksgiving just around the corner, I am in full-blown carrot cake mode. It is a staple for me when it comes to this meal, and I am always heartbroken if there's not a gluten-free option for me to devour. Usually, I'm responsible for making it, but not this year because I will be bringing a carrot cake mix with me to my parents and requesting that my sister make it for me. I mean, I am newly postpartum, so like she can take on the baking, you know? Visit StellarEats.com and use code Cameron at checkout for 20% off your first purchase. That's S-T-E-L-L-A. A-R-E-A-T-S dot com and use code Cameron for 20% off your first order. Stellar Eats is also available at Whole Foods stores nationwide. It's a beautiful story and what your son said to you about the old outfit and the yeah, old, the mom, old mom, new mom yeah. is really speaks to, I think, what we were speaking about even before of ha- making sure that you're still doing stuff for yourself because yes. you can think, if I'm there 24-7, then that's what'll make them the happiest. But if you're not the happiest version of yourself, they pick up on these things. I know my husband picks up on it. I know my child picks up on it when I am not the best version of myself. And that's why I remind myself to do certain Mm -hmm. things. And it can be the smallest fucking thing of like getting outside for five minutes in the morning just to start your day alone. I wake up an hour before my son because I need time by myself before people are asking me that. I need silence and I know that about Mm -hmm. myself. And so Mm -hmm. I do it so that I can show up in the best possible version for him. When it comes to your physical body, because you speak a lot about it on your platform, how has that relationship shifted over the years, especially as someone who experienced postpartum? You know, we talked about the vagina healing, but when you're 20, I would imagine your body not bounces back, but the recovery is easier than maybe at 36. Maybe I'm wrong or 35. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if it was. I remember just being very ashamed because I didn't know that stretch marks happened. I mean, again, there's no social media that wasn't, I'd never seen them on anybody. So I struggled a lot with the realities of what pregnancy did to the body, but I was already like, I don't know. I think when you've been ridiculed for your body since you're 12, you get really used to just like have a good personality and get by. And my body was- What ridicule did you experience at 12? Like other people, family? Yeah. So I was typically one of, if not the biggest kid in class when I was growing up. And honestly, I look back and I wasn't all that big. Like the amount of shame that happened from other students and just- the ridicule that I experienced all the time and a lot of it from just society. I remember joining a gym at one point and you got like weighed in front of everybody. I got weighed in front of everybody in my gym class. I remember all the girls talking about it. I remember joining a gym and getting weighed there and having them pinch and measure all the fat on my body. I was like 14. There's like so many things that like, you're just constantly reminded that you're like not small. When I was a teenager and I would go to the mall, I couldn't shop any of the clothes unless I bought men's clothes. So I was just like adopted this like tomboy sort of personality because that's what I could fit in. And I just sort of laughed it all off. And I think that when I lost weight and I became very thin, it made me feel like I entered into society the way that I had always witnessed other people going through it. But pregnancy 
was a time that people loved you. Maternity clothes fit, first of all, that was nice. And people were so nice to you and complimented your body and what you looked like. And I really had never experienced that. So that was like really nice. And then when I yeah went through all the weight loss and stuff, and then I, so I lost a hundred pounds and had a really bad disordered eating and sort of was working through healing from that when I got pregnant again, with my youngest. So it's interesting that you can think that you're healed from something and then you get thrown back in the arena. And I think I was meant to, I think I was meant to sort of, I think before I was sort of always talking about postpartum in such a reflective sense, because I didn't begin to process postpartum until eight years afterwards. I actually have a photo and a post up where I'm talking about sort of processing postpartum eight years later. And I had no idea I was actually pregnant at the same time. Like I had no idea that I was pregnant in the moment that I was talking about this. It was like I was set up to be put back into the arena to talk about this in real time. And I needed to be because as a person and as a creator and somebody who talked about this, there was so much that happened in real time. There's grief that I think is so important. Like when we talk about body grief, I think it's we hear about it and we're like, oh, that's just you're supposed to be sad about your body. No, no, no. You're supposed to process change. Change. Grief is a processing tool. And I think it was so necessary for postpartum for me to process the change instead of fighting it, instead of feeling so shameful about it. And so I felt so empowered by birth right afterwards and like so empowered by the softness of my body and the stretch marks and all of it. And then, you know, time ticks on and you're like, okay, wait a second. Are we really like, I know I'm like healed and like, yeah, yeah. But like, are we really just going to like keep gaining weight here? Am I gaining weight postpartum? What is going on? And so now I've really been like, you can be healing through something. And also there's this hum in the back of our brains that really doesn't go away that will constantly remind you of your body. So my big thing now is I might be struggling with my body image. I might be struggling with the fact that I do look really different from even who I was before I gave birth. I have gained weight in the last two years, but watch me show up, but watch me say yes. Watch me work through that discomfort. Watch me choose to be confident in this life in this one fucking shot I got at any of this because I deserve it, because I deserve to be here, because I deserve to have a husband who you know, loves and touches me and who wants to hug me and I want to hug him back. And how dare I rip us of that experience because my stomach hangs two inches lower than it did two years ago. There was so much that I could talk myself out of because I've gained weight because my stomach is different because all of these things have happened. And I'm just decided that even though I'm back in the arena of the struggle of what it is to process change, I am also saying yes to some of the boldest things I have ever, I mean, I have walked a runway in the last year. I have posed nude in the last year. I have done body painting in the last year. Some of these only in the last few months. I have done more things with my kids. I've shown up, I've shown up to more places that I've been so uncomfortable. On one of my worst body image days ever, I went to an event in a see-through dress that night because I was like, this is the moment. This is when you have to do it. And it's been so beautiful because then I look at it and I'm like, I'm building this beautiful life and these feelings no longer are a roadblock for me. They're just little tiny hurdles into which I have now learned how to step over because I've learned 
time and time again that confidence is not something that you acquire. It is something that you choose when your knees are shaking and you step forward and you do the dang thing. Because when I'm 85 and I tell the story of my life, I want it to be of all the things that I said yes to and not all the things that I said no because of how I felt about this temporary state of a body that is ever-changing. And I don't want my worth to be placed on something as variable as a body because it is so unguaranteed and it is constantly in a process of change. That soundbite, I feel like, is something that people are going to listen to over and over (laughs) and over again because it's all so fucking true. And I'm struggling a lot with body stuff this pregnancy because my first pregnancy, like your last one, was during COVID. So I didn't have to get dressed. I just was in a sweatshirt and leggings the whole time in our house. We didn't leave. We didn't have plans. Mm -hmm. We weren't seeing people. And this time around, I'm living my life. I'm living my life with my toddler. We're doing things. We're socializing. And I also am someone who 10 out of 10 times would choose to be in pants. I love jeans. I live in jeans. Like that's what I want to wear. And it's a thing that's stripped from me for the most part. So then I put on dresses and I'm like, I just don't feel like myself. And not only do I not feel like myself in the clothes, but I don't feel like myself in my body. And it's really fucking confusing. And I do think that it has really showed me how important it is to dress to your desires, to dress mm-hmm. to what you feel comfortable in. Mm-hmm. And that could be wearing, like I have a sweatshirt on right now. I feel literally one of the things I think I look best in is like a matching sweat set. And if yes. I could wear a matching sweat set and sneakers out, that's when I'm the most confident or jeans and sneakers and t-shirt. And you have to dress to your own confidence, you do. not you what do. you're seeing exactly. other people doing. That's why when somebody says just wear the shorts or just wear the bikini, also just wear the freaking one piece and a full cover up if you need to. Did you show up that day? That's what's important. That's what we need to be reminded of. I want to ask some listener questions that were submitted because my community is very pumped about having you on here. Okay. One person asked, what has it been like being in the public eye for so long and how do you stay you? It's weird. It's never really hit me. I think I've been doing this for 15 years and I recognize that people recognize me or know who I am or might know who I am in public. But to me, it's just so fun when you get to see people in real life because I talk to my phone all day. Whenever he's like, oh, I'm sorry if this is weird. I'm like, you know, it's weird talking to your phone all day long and never getting to meet in real life. So I'm so grateful for those moments, but it really has never, it's never truly hit me. Like sometimes I'm like, whoa, I'm on a billboard. That's freaking wild. And then I'm just like, but then I'm just my same dorky self. So I don't really feel it if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And I wonder that about celebrities all the time now. Cause I'm like, oh, I wonder if they feel it or if they just feel the same and that other people just feel differently. That's what I wonder. Well, do you think sometimes. you get some heightened level of that removal experience, not being in like LA? Like, do you know what I mean? Even though you're in a city, but I do feel Canada is just such a happy. I love Canada. Yeah. We're just a little bit more chill. It always feels like monopoly money. If that makes sense. It feels like monopoly money version of everything. In in my opinion, like if like Instagram and all of that stuff, like I can still walk out of my house and like most people don't know who I am. So I don't really have that like I don't know. I'm not a Kardashian where like I couldn't go anywhere without being recognized. Right. But I think even influencers, when you're in the LA mindset or the New York mindset, it can feel so like this is everything. I don't know. I just wonder if that separation of Yeah, I still live in the same town that I was born in. 
yeah, I still live in the same place I was born in and I like live in the suburbs and I don't know, it doesn't, I guess maybe like I, but then there's other times where I'm like, oh, we have like really cool opportunities. And then there's like moments like that, that I'm like, oh, it's because I have this that I'm able to do that. But then I'm so grateful that it hasn't really ever hit my brain in the same way that I maybe would expect that somebody who enters into like any form of like celebrity or fame that they would maybe feel like a shift. And I just, it's never hit me. It's never really gone there. And I'm really, really grateful for that. Even though I think sometimes it would be healthy for me to, to be a little bit more private. It's just not in my, it's just, I don't know. I just, I talk too much. It's hard no, for me I to feel create you a there. It's like what we said on your show. That's one of the reasons why having that name identity is nice because it's like, oh, well, that's that person. Yeah, that yeah, has yeah. All those yeah, followers. Yeah. Like, yeah. whatever. That's not me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Whether it's affirmations in the mirror or something else, do you have any actionable steps that you take to regain confidence, especially postpartum? I have safe outfits. And I think that's a really important thing is something that when your body is very loud, figure out a way to get yourself functioning and get out the door. Again, the goal is living your life. The goal is not showing up in a bikini or showing up in the tight dress. While I did just talk about, you know, going into a see-through dress when I was having a hard day, that was a personal decision that I wanted to push myself through. But I do have safe outfits. I have things that aren't sized, like a smash and test rompers are one of my favorites. I lived in postpartum. I have several pairs of leggings that have flexed with me with a few different sizes, oversized sweatshirts, things that don't let me acknowledge or see or feel my body. I'm very big on us being able to have comfortable ways to move through life and not be reminded about that because I think it's when you have capacity to deal with it, you can, but you don't have to have capacity to deal with all of the negative thoughts that you're having in every second of the day all the time. That's too much. Sometimes we have bigger things to do and better things to do with our time. So just put on the thing that makes you feel the least distracted by your body and then go do, go do what's more important, which is anything but focusing on this. I agree. I think the best, and I said this in an episode, the best place I've ever been when it came to body image is when I just didn't even think about my body. I yes. wasn't like, oh my God, I look amazing 24 yeah. seven, but I wasn't beating myself up. I was just like, oh, I want to wear this outfit, throw it on, let's go. We're not even checking the mirror. That's mm-hmm. when mm-hmm. I felt the most freedom. And I would assume that's what people feel with body neutrality where I'm not yeah. obsessed with it. I'm not picking it apart. It is what it is. It's it just is what my it body. is. And that's all, that's all very true. And then we also have to acknowledge that some people don't have access to neutral thoughts the same way yep. because airplanes aren't designed for them. The public transport totally. isn't designed for them. Amusement rides. People are reminded of their size multiple times a day. But I do agree that I think that having neutral thoughts towards yourself instead of good or bad is the goal, not always feeling positive about it and not also sitting in the negative either. We don't have to constantly sit anywhere. I think the the goal should be to think less about our bodies and it's okay. And, and I know that that's confusing because I do talk about my body a lot, but that's because we're in a very saturated market of telling us to feel like shit about ourselves. So I'm trying to saturate with something that tells you that we're actually all doing a very good job at whatever we're doing right this moment. And that the fact that our bodies are carrying us is that they are carrying life and they're carrying amazing opportunities and memories. And that that's just as worthy of being honored. So we don't have to, I don't know, we don't have to get like stuck in these cycles of 
feeling bad, but feeling good. And like, oh gosh, I feel shame because I don't feel good about myself. Right. Like it's just a, Mm -hmm. I want to saturate with the reality of what I look like too in the world of uh, whenever I, I she said this a few times where like, whenever you don't know if you like should post the photo, just think about like the bro, the gym bro who like just stands in the mirror and posts his abs and like do that level of confidence because you're allowed to look whatever you, it doesn't have to be a statement. I'm just like genuinely. And that's the thing too. I can just genuinely show up in myself and people are like, oh my God, all you do is like talk about your stomach. I'm like, I'm just actually showing up. So you my said stomach's that. just simply you made there. It a thing. Yeah. It's just there. So go comment on a gym bros page and then come back and talk to me. <laughs> <laughs> and then last question from the listeners, how has being a mother changed the way you see yourself? That's a good question. I don't know a lot about myself before being a mother because I was a teenager, but I I think that it's almost the fact that I allowed myself to be the mother that I am as opposed to the mother that even if anybody follows me, they know my mother is like literally mother goose. So mixed with Martha Stewart and it's very intimidating to try and live up to, but I am a very different mom. I remember like I've had so many amazing memories with my kids and there's so much about them that teaches me the wonder of this world. There's so much about them that has kept my inner child alive. There's so much about me that has nourished their inner child, even when they're like in the cool, oh, I'm a teenager. I don't care about anything anymore. Watching them with a younger sibling, keeping their inner child alive has been, has been really magical. And I think that we really rush to grow up and we rush into responsibilities and we rush into life. And I think when we really take a step back, a lot of mothering is also identifying our inner child and what they need and sort of showing up for them as well. So mock me till the cows come home about my love for Disney. It is a true place where my inner child is so happy. And it's a place that as an adult, I get to plug into every once in a while and share that experience with my kids. And I can only hope that they will do that for themselves as they grow up and as they go through things. And remembering that I'm merely somebody who is sitting in the passenger seat of their ride. I am not in control of their life and in their choices. I'm just there to sit and hopefully share some good experiences I've had when it comes to different pathways. But ultimately, I just love I love who they've made me and I love who they're turning out to be because our house, we make fun of each other. We laugh a lot. We play a lot of games. We do like to hang out and we never eat dinner at the table. We should probably do that sometimes, but we're just like, not, it's not what I pictured it would ever be, but it's like my favorite, you know, it's amazing. It doesn't matter what you pictured. No, we did talking. I forgot the question. (laughs) (laughs) It answered it. And I think it's also just really helpful words of wisdom, advice, or reminders that your parenting styles or your family does not have to look like what everyone else's looks exactly. like. Exactly. You're the you expert figure of your out own situation, right? You, yeah. What makes you happy and you ride that wave. For everyone yes. who wants more of you, where oh can they go support you? Well, I story about 45 million times a day and I'm mostly in stories. So that's on Instagram Same. at the birds papaya. When I have the mental capacity, I post funny things on TikTok, but I'm mostly on Instagram at the birds papaya, or I have my podcast, the papaya podcast. And that's where I am every Monday. And other than that, I'm like a little trail of dots of ants at the top of your story screen. 
because I do not have an ability to shut the fuck up as we I can feel tell that in my core an hour into this. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on here. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited for everyone to hear this. Me too. Thank you all so much for listening to today's episode of Freckled Foodie and Friends. I have so much fun recording the show. It is my favorite part of my job and truly is what lights me up. Your feedback and response to every episode is what keeps me going. And if this episode resonated with you, please feel free to DM me over on Instagram or share on your stories. If you are looking for a way to support the show, please rate and or review on whatever platform you use to listen to your podcast. It means the world to me and it really helps the show grow. Please also make sure to hit subscribe so that you are up to date with new episodes coming at you every Wednesday morning. And of course, please be sure to follow me on Instagram and TikTok at at Cameron Oaks Rogers. I love you and I appreciate your support so much. Please note that this episode may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products and services. Individuals on the show may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to in this episode.